You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis. I'm Jonathan Sheely. Today's guest is my personal friend and mentor, Jim Harrison. Now, Dr. Harrison may think that he is going to retire very soon, but as you will see, he has uh, too much experience and too much knowledge, and we just enjoy serving together too much. So I, I think we're going to have to postpone that. What do you, are, will you vote in favor Absolutely. of that? Absolutely. All right. Well, two votes. Done. To one. So yep. All those in favor. Kind of like two, two wolves and a chicken voting <laughs> on what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just love Dr. Harrison and his, his life is such a great example of how God uses a person who just commits themselves to him. This is a, a bittersweet episode, I guess, probably for you too. Absolutely. You, you can't have Jonathan Sheely that you have today without Jim Harrison and his ability to mentor me when I was in a really raw state of leadership was phenomenal, very steady, very even keel. And I was not, <laughs> I was, you know, uh, in a, in a place where I was very passionate about what I was saying and doing. And he helped me add tact, helped me add uh, perspective and, and even maybe diplomacy, even though we don't like, usually like that word to be able to um, communicate what needed to be done in a way that met everyone's needs and not just mine. Um, he, he mentored me all the way from college, you know, by, we even get to that a little bit. My very first semester of college, he took me on a recruiting trip. Mm -hmm. And from that on that point on, I have, I have not had a semester where I wasn't working for him. And so that's 10, 11 years ago. Um, but you know, one of the things that we all appreciate about Jim is that he's a great storyteller. Oh yeah. And this episode, you will find not just his excellence and his, you know, ability to be professional at Maranatha and what would we do without him? I guess we're going to find out, but he has the inside scoop on so much that goes on around here. Well, it's too much fun to delay any longer. What do you say? Let's get to it. Joining us today is Dr. Jim Harrison, Vice President for Advancement at Maranatha. Jim and his wife, Kathy, currently live in Watertown, but are looking forward to moving to Kansas City, Missouri in September upon Dr. Harrison's retirement. The Harrisons have four grown children and 12 grandchildren. His favorite meal is baby back ribs, and he enjoys running and working in his yard. His favorite sports team is the Green Bay Packers. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So you're giving up one of your two most favorite things, and actually, I guess the Packers too, although you can watch them on TV, but True. your favorite thing is working in the yard and you're selling your house. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's on the market this week. Oh, man. And so... That's got to give you some mixed feelings to uh, load up, and you and mm -hmm. Kathy are going to be on the road permanently, <laughs> permanently visiting grandkids. I right. Mean, this sounds like a yeah. pretty neat plan. I remind myself that at some point in time, we will buy a home, oh, and okay. I will be mowing again. Yeah. But there will be a period of time, who knows how long, could be six months, it could be three years, I don't know, that we're just going to live in the travel trailer and I got wait an idea. for the market I, to I got an down. idea for you. Here's what you do. You keep your your lawn tractor and you just go up to random houses that you'd <laughs> that you think need <laughs> yes. your help and for free. You just go out there and start right. mowing the yeah. yard, you know, and, mm -hmm. and and have Kathy film the reaction of the homeowners. <laughs> 
You could be famous on YouTube yeah, in no could time. Be. Yeah, like that a would second be interesting career. <laughs> if I don't get arrested in the meantime. Yes, I had a neighbor do that to me when we when after right after Christopher was born. They thought they were being so nice. And they, you're like, and they ruined that's my, my yard. one thing. Yeah, <laughs> they, like, oh, they ruined, ruined my yard for like oh, no. two seasons. Yeah, right. Well, I always keep my lawn fairly long. You know, three and a half, four inches long in the middle of the summer. I had a neighbor that wanted to help me out, cut it about two inches. Oh, the same thing. Yeah, it was just, I know, just absolutely scalped yeah. it. So I. I thanked him, but I didn't say anything about, let's do it again, okay? <laughs> Imagine he gets arrested, though, and he's in prison. You know, what are you in for? <laughs> well, I mowed somebody's yard that didn't want it, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I guess there are worse things. All right, don't do that idea. So give us, you've had kind of some interesting side interests over the years. And uh, I guess one of the things that you enjoy doing as a, a diversion and as part of an extension of your ministry here is that you have been on a lot of choir tours and ensemble tours over the years. Sure. Have you counted those up? Any idea? Yeah, we, I think it was almost 50 as I, you know, counted it way back in the late 90s. And then, you know, we had couple choir tours every year, band, percussion ensemble. I was involved in scheduling, but also in booking the speakers. And mm -hmm. uh, so I ended up going on a lot of them. Yeah. So it was almost 50 over the years. It's, it's uh, quite a run. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing. And one of the things you love about being out on tour is visiting the churches mm -hmm. and getting to know parents of students and pastors that are out there and kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of the broader constituency of who we serve here at Maranatha. Sure, and and it seems like every time we go into a church, the pastor would say, "Hey, let's let's gab, let's talk," you know. So mm -hmm. either at the dinner table or you know, as everybody's setting up, the choir's warming up, we'll go into the into the uh, pastor's office there and. And we'll just talk and see what's on his heart. And a lot of times it's, hey, what's going on in Maranatha? Tell me. Or here's some things that I observe going on within fundamentalism or independent Baptist movement. I just want to, I just burden to share with you and that type of thing. Yeah. It's, so it's been, it's been fascinating. Well, it's a great insight. And it's important for Maranatha to keep abreast of, mm -hmm. you know, the relevant things and developments in the, in the churches, how we can better serve their needs. Maranatha is not a church. But we are dedicated to serving and providing servants in the local church. And so we've got to know mm -hmm. <laughs> what's happening out there. And that's one of the primary ways is through our choirs. And what a blessing to serve alongside with the young people and to sure. kind of see the students and their heart to jump in and do whatever they need to do to help out and just to kind of see them in that element. Right. And that's where you really get to know the students. Mm. You know, I work with prospective students and applicants. Once they get on campus, I'm in the class uh, occasionally, but I'm, I don't have that much contact with them on a regular basis, except for these tour groups where you really get to know them. And uh, so that has always been a highlight. So in addition to touring, you also are a bit of a runner. How, sure, how I love many, running. How many marathons have you completed? I've completed eight thus far. Did you complete every one you attempted? I did. Well, yeah, that's, there was that's a, pretty amazing. There was a couple times I thought about quitting, but I just kept pushing through. One time I should have quit because <laughs> of an injury that uh, oh, no. you know, put me out of running for a while. But uh, I remember one time had a had a marathon and went well, and walking back to the car afterwards and sore and stiff and talking to a guy next to me. I don't know who he was, where he came from, but he just finished the marathon, and I said to him, uh, "How did it go?" 
He said, it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> I'm never doing this again. I find runners, they come down in two ways. You know, they complete the marathon and say, hey, I think I could do better. Or they complete the marathon and they say, I did it. It's done. Checked it off my uh, bucket list. Now I don't need, need to do it again. And I usually <laughs> fall into those two categories. Well, you kept doing it, though. You did and it I eight. I did eight, yes. So is there but another I, one on the docket? Or I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. You know, I, I like half marathons. They're uh, they're challenging and yet not ridiculously challenging. <laughs> and so uh, what I'd like to do is get back to running a couple of half marathons. I had a serious um, hamstring injury in January, and I was out of running for three months. So now I'm back into it, but, you know, still only in the five to seven mile range. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe sometime this fall, I'll get back to a half marathon, but I really don't necessarily have a goal to run a full marathon again. What you need is you need to challenge yourself a little bit, Jim. You need to you need to do an Ironman, <laughs> don't you think? I mean, an Ironman, you run a marathon at the end. Yes, right. But you, like, swim three miles or some mm -hmm. crazy long yeah. thing, and then you in the ocean, you know, mm -hmm. so that's not just a pool swimming. And then you uh, bike 100 and something miles, and then you run the marathon. Right. Really need to challenge yourself. I, I mean, probably really... drowned in the first uh, <laughs> section. <laughs> Understand? Swimming is not my strength, that's for sure. <laughs> well, if you complete it, you are an Iron Man, though, <laughs> yeah, for the yeah, rest you of your be, life. Yes. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, luckily, it's not on my bucket list. I hope not to add it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So easy for me to say, right? <laughs> Sitting here. So the other interesting thing is that you have served or been a part of Maranatha under every single one of its presidents. Sure. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. So give me the flow of that. How did that happen? Well, I was came as a student in 1973. Dr. Cedarholm was president at that time. And I was a member of the Trumpets of Praise. It's a trumpet trio, Mark Love, Steve Allen, Dave Warren. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all members of that group. And Dr. Cedarholm loved taking us with him. So we travel with him all the time. Uh, almost every weekend, we were with him in some church in the area. Uh, we traveled for a summer, summer did, of Did you guys 76. get to know all, all the messages? Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> all of them, everyone. <laughs> Dr. Cedarholm's preaching is interesting because he was not a, he was not a brief speaker. No, he was mm -hmm. So you guys would do a full concert, mm -hmm. and then he would He'd speak full, for an hour after man, a concert. Yeah. So you had to buckle up. It yep. was going to be a long one. And it took him a while to kind of get into <laughs> it, right? Like you know, He was at his best when he was at a tight time frame. You know, so if the pastor would say, you know, we got to be done at X, you know, eight o'clock or whatever, and he had 25 minutes and he'd get it all in, but he'd be really tight. The ones that you know, we'd roll our eyes is when the pastor would say, um, Take as much take time, as, much as, time you as you want, brother. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, says, alert, alert, oh no, oh no. And he would. And so, <laughs> but yeah, so we traveled with him all the time, got to know them really well. This summer that we traveled in 76, Dr. Mrs. Cedarholm and Charlotte traveled with us for oh, that's probably, awesome. you know, 80% of the tour. Wow. We went out west, California, all that. So, yeah, you know, we had really had a great time, got to know them well. That that is neat, mm -hmm. and it's a it's an interesting insight. I remember when I was out with a choir at one point as a student, 
I ended up in the van with Dr. Winnegar, <laughs> late night drive. I'm the magpie in the passenger seat just to keep the driver awake. He's driving, of mm-hmm. course, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he's not going to let somebody else drive. So he's driving and he's telling me all kinds of stuff that I probably shouldn't have known at that point, but it was just fascinating. Of course, I'm, I'm priming him with yeah, questions. Right. I've always been a question guy, you know? Yeah. So I'm hitting him with these questions. What, where do you see Maranatha? And what would be the you know absolute maximum you know that you think? And how are we going to grow? And what are we going to do? I had no idea at that time, having a conversation like that, how many times the Lord would bring that back to mm-hmm. mind now that I have a leadership role here, sure. and I'm sure you've had the same experience mm-hmm. where it's like, this is fascinating. Uh, how, how did I get a view of that you right. know, early on? And then now how important it seems um, to think back about those conversations at, at that moment. Right. That, that's a, it's a privileged glimpse and insight, yeah. isn't it? I remember one interesting uh, time we were traveling. We were way out west. Dr. Serum said, uh, I want you to drive today. Because Mrs. Cedar home and I have some work to do. Okay, so I'm driving. We had two vehicles when we traveled, so the guys were in one vehicle. The Cedar homes were a family was in another vehicle, but I was driving their vehicle that day because they got a box of mail from Maranatha from the institution, and so they're going through the mail, and so oh, this is an invoice. Oh, here is an application for admissions, oh and they goodness. were separating this all out. <laughs> they mailed the mail yes. out to mail him on the, the road. Yes, and he was the one opening all the exactly. mail. Exactly, and then oh they had goodness. to, you know. Uh, Send it back, <laughs> you know, to process the invoices, process the applications, everything. I, I, I look back at that, you know, nowadays everything is instant with uh, online. Yeah. But back then, you know, you could send in an application and may not hear back from them for a month and a half in the middle of the summertime because of you know, this kind of a slow process of mail and everything. Now, especially with online, people will apply. And then if it's been 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and they haven't been registered, right. they're like, oh, did you get my information? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The expectations have changed. Just yep. a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they said technology was going to make everything easier <laughs> and wonderful. I think instead it just changed yeah. the time frames That's, everyone expects. Exactly. That's amazing. I think they do that with the queen. You know, she gets a box of mail. Yeah. <laughs> She's got the red box. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah, that's the documentary yeah, one time. The, so the queen and Dr. Yeah. Cedarholm, yeah. you know? I wonder if he ever met the queen. Right. I bet he did. Yeah. <laughs> Probably did. Yeah. Maybe that's where he got that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Another interesting fact about the summer of 76 when we traveled, that was the bicentennial of our, you know, the founding of our country. So we had a great patriotic mess uh, program. Okay. Patriotic numbers, some speeches, and everything like that that we were doing for our bicentennial. But we spent three weeks in Canada, including <laughs> July the fourth. <laughs> so the, the poor people up there—they were so gracious to us. But we're thinking, you know, we're talking about the founding of the uh, United States here in Canada, you know. But <laughs> that is the most poor sure. thing I have yeah. ever heard. Right. I'm not sure who set up the tour, but you know, we had a great time. You guys look at each other like, "Are we really doing this?" <laughs> All my, the Canadians favorite, are like, "That's great for you." But my favorite patriotic song is My Country Tis of Thee yeah. because basically the colonials just took the, <laughs> the British national anthem yeah. and ripped it off completely <laughs> and just took the words and changed them. And <laughs> so that, that's the most American thing I, yeah. I, I think mm. I can think of. Well, I appreciate that long tenure of experience. And we hope today to tap into a little bit of the wisdom that you've learned along the way. And uh, just kind of get a glimpse and insight of 
what makes you tick? I mean, what you've been you've been active and working through that all these years. I think it was Dr. Winnegar that brought you to Maranatha. Yes. Mm-hmm. He hired me in admissions, mm-hmm. and then uh, promoted into the VP role of advancement. When did that happen? That was early two thousands. Dave Jaspers was the president at that time. Right. He brought me up. And that advancement then is not just admissions, but it covers a, a much broader range mm-hmm. of departments with communications. And then you have the development piece with the fundraising and the marketing aspects of it and all mm-hmm. of that. And you've basically learned it all the way through by by doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Always always right. Always doing it the right way, right? <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> of course. But uh, mm. that that tenure of faithful service, I'm sure along the way, you've learned some pretty incredible things. So that's what we want to talk about today. Honestly, we want to talk about um, your personal mission and how is how has it led you to stay here at Maranatha for a long time? We love people that come to Maranatha and that offer their wisdom and insights, and then they, they move on. We talk about moving on all the time here at the university, but you've stuck it out, and we want to know why have you done that? How have you done that? You know, as I think back over a period of my ministry, not just here, but prior, I was a youth pastor for three years, worked with teenagers. I was at Camp Kobiak for 16 years. vast majority of kids that would come through the camp were young people. And then, of course, now working at Maranatha for 25 and spending a lot of time in Christian schools, youth conferences, college fairs, talking to you know, students and their parents, prospective students and their parents. You know, I thought, you know, the the goal has always been to challenge young people to be open to God's leading. I mean, I was doing that as a youth pastor back in the late 70s. And uh, certainly that was a big, oh, big part of the camp ministry. A lot of kids would get saved there, but I would see the the ones that really made some great life-changing decisions were kids that were saying, okay, I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do, wherever that leads. And that's got to be the key, right? Whatever. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think we're a little too specific in what we challenge somebody to do or to to consider, but it's really that that main starting point is the starting point of surrendering to the Lord. Mm -hmm. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm open to that. Now, Lay it on me. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a little harder to maintain that commitment once he does tell you. <laughs> yes, right. Then you got to be obedient, yeah. right? And you got to follow through with that commitment. Mm-hmm. What a joy to be a part of that. Right. And that's been the message, you know, all down for 40-some years here is, is that, of course, then I have to make sure that in my own life, I'm willing to live uh, what I'm challenging, you know, the teens that I run into. So basically, I've been in the youth ministry for— for 44 years here, because I've been primarily dealing with young people, even now with, you know, with Peter Wright and his team uh, doing student recruitment, I don't do as much that type of connection anymore, but I am very involved in the uh, admission side. So I'm talking to parents and talking to applicants all the time about, hey, what is, where's God leading you? What's, what's God's plan for your life? And and how can we help and that type of thing. So yeah, it's been an interesting uh, ride. I, I was a pastoral studies major. I figured I was going to be in the pastorate. So I went to the youth pastorate, uh, Prairie Baptist Church in Scotts, Michigan's youth pastor there. Uh, served for three years thinking at some point in time I was going to advance into senior pastorate, I'm sure. But the Lord 
had different plans. Mm. And so other than the youth pastorate, I've never been in a pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. I ended up camp ministry and then now in the college for 25 years. Never would have dreamed it, but... Well, the Lord has a way of opening <laughs> doors that we didn't even know existed. Right. And you don't, you look back and you, you don't have regrets right. and you realize his path was way better <laughs> than yeah, anything exactly. you, you would have imagined for yourself. I, I've certainly had the same experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yet you you see the joy along the way of, of just being a part of what God's doing. Right. And, you know, the verses that I've claimed even back... Uh, in college, when I started as a freshman, I had a new Bible that my parents gave me, and they said, what verse do you want to put on the front? So I had my name and a verse. So I put in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and I have claimed that those two verses, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And so I've tried to live that you know, for 44 years. It's hard to do, especially in all thy ways acknowledge him. Uh, that's that's a difficult part, but we've tried to do that. Um, and then just be sensitive to God's leading. I remember one time I was, when I was a youth pastor, <clears throat> middle of my third year there, pastor called up and said, I'm looking for a youth pastor. I, can we interview you? Hmm. I said, well, um, okay. Now, I was very familiar with the church because it was a church that I grew up at as a young child. When I was in junior high, then my parents moved to Kobiak, went on staff there, but that was the, my home church, basically. And uh, it was a fairly wealthy church, and the, I know the financial package they were offering was double what I was getting as a youth pastor there in the, in the Kalamazoo area. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they first agreed to interview, uh, this was in like January, I said, my wife is teaching in a Christian school. She has a contract for the school year, so, I mean, there's no sense in even talking unless we're considering maybe a summer transition. Pastor said, that's fine. Yeah, that's good. So we sat down, had a great interview. Um, the next day, he called back and said, hey, we want to offer you that position with one change. And I said, well, what's that one change? And he said, uh, we want you to come immediately. We don't want you to wait for the summer. I says, oh, I can't come because my wife has a school contract. Now, I don't have a contract. I could leave, but my wife can't. He said, listen, your, your pastor and I are great friends. I'll talk to him. I think she, he'll let her out of the contract. And I said, but that's not the point. She yeah, I agreed. don't think you understand. <laughs> yeah, she signed the contract, and we're not going to break the contract. And he said, well, okay, then the conversation is closed. And we hung up the phone, and I thought, that is the weirdest wow. thing. I, I, but I'm not going to break the contract. And then it was within two or three weeks that I get a phone call from a board member at Camp Kobiak saying, here's, a, here's an idea that we have, and we want to share with you about bringing on you, you and Mark Love in the leadership position at Kobiak. And I've thought over the years so many times, what would have happened if yeah. I said, yeah, we'll break the contract, no big deal. And, uh, you know, went that direction. That, As it was, the Lord led here, but I had to be consistent with uh, principles of, uh, you know, uh, honoring your word. That's a lost ethic, mm. completely lost mm. ethic right now. And the idea that there ought to be some commitment to your promises mm -hmm. or, or that you ought to make promises <laughs> or that you ought to <laughs> stick it out through... The hard times, you know, the economy right now, there's a lot of jobs out there. There's a lot of 
ways to advance. And certainly we can make more money doing something else. Mm -hmm. But the question is, am I going to be a person of principle that stands for something? Am I going to be about something eternal? Now, in your case, it's between two ministry positions, and that's probably kind of analyzes out evenly. But I think anybody in ministry could say, well, you know, I could make a lot more money if I just gave up this ministry thing and <laughs> and went into the, quote, secular mm -hmm. work. But as we've talked many times here, God calls people in and out of vocational ministry all the time. That, that money shouldn't really be the motivating factor. Mm -hmm. God will take care of us and supply our needs. And as you look back, has that been true? That has very, been very true, yes. Yeah, uh, I've been in ministries now um, all these 40-some years, and certainly not at the top of the pay scale. But it's just amazing looking back is how the Lord has you know, taken care of us. And, and we think sometime, I don't know how that all happened, but... <laughs> yeah, you see your kids taken care of, and you see them thriving and making good choices mm -hmm. as adults, and you realize... There are some things that are more valuable than money mm -hmm. in this world. Exactly, yeah. Your kids, your family, the kind of environment that you're providing, and you shouldn't discount that in making a decision. And there are lots of factors that go into mm -hmm. whether to make a move <laughs> and whether to make a change and when the timing mm -hmm. is right. But sometimes even in the process, you can find out a little bit about the type of place that you are considering, even by just throwing out a few parameters like that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, imagine here you are saying, I need to honor a commitment. If I'm hearing that as a prospective employer, I, I would light up at that. <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, here's a guy who actually sticks to his word. That's great. That's the kind of guy I want. I'll wait, I'll wait a year for that guy, you know, and, and yet to, to look at it like, well, then forget it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of bizarre to be yeah. honest with you. Mm -hmm. And do I want a guy who can be wooed away that easily either. You know, I'd constantly be looking over my shoulder. You know? <laughs> now who's giving him a sweeter deal, you know? And so that's, that's pretty amazing. I think that really speaks to both sides of that equation, both the, the hiring side and the, the issue. And, and if you see something like that happen and somebody's asking you to do something like that, then you got to think they would do it to you <laughs> on yeah, the other right. side. <laughs> so I would definitely uh, run, not walk, sure. from a situation like that. Well, what was interesting is <clears throat> they contacted us from uh, the Kobiak board, contacted us, said, hey, we'd like to bring you on. The, the Association the uh, Fellowship of Churches that owned the camp <clears throat> just went uh, through a major split over ecumenicalism and uh, so the camper count was as low uh, as it was at the very beginning, the very first year. It was really tough. And so they said, we want to bring you and Mark on, Love on to, you know, get the camp thing turned around, get going. He says, the problem is we have no money. Yeah. We have no housing. Oh. We can't promise you a salary. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you want to do? Well, that just sounds too good to be true. <laughs> My wife and I looked at each other. Of course, we all grew up at Kobiak. We said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> we were, you know, you so got we yourself went, a deal. Yeah, that's right. We went up there with, you know, and we were uh, I was, we were married but had no children at the time. And Mark yeah. was single. And we looked at it as adventure. You know, yes. it's like, okay, where are you going to live? I don't know. In fact, we ended up living for the first summer in a 16-foot travel trailer. Well, it's good practice now That's for your exactly. retirement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but the Lord answered some really great prayers because within a month and a half of a signing or agreeing to come on to start 
June 1st, before we even got there, Shell Oil Company contacted the camp hmm. and uh, offered them like $120,000 for a five-year oil lease rights <laughs> on the property. <laughs> they struck oil. Yeah, and, oh they, and they actually never did anything with that oil lease rights. I mean, they did no... Uh, drilling. So it's still there. Uh, well, they had it for five <laughs> years. Yeah, whatever's there, still there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, but what the hundred twenty thousand dollars did is it provided us their homes mm-hmm. and provided salaries for the first year as we could then begin ramping up camper count yeah. and and it was just amazing. And somebody said, you know, that oil lease thing was God honoring your faith. Mm. And I said, you know, actually, it wasn't honoring my faith because we didn't come by faith. We came by adventure. <laughs> it, God was honoring the faith of the board of directors yeah. who made the decision to bring us on. That was risky yeah, it for was. them to, to do that. But imagine there'd be no Kobiak if they mm-hmm. hadn't done that. I mean, yeah. the thing would have just fizzled out and be something else right now. Right. Exactly. They were at a very precarious point back then with the, the number of campers that Well, and when you think coming. about how many lives changed over all those mm-hmm. decades mm-hmm. now, uh, from that critical point of decision of risk, you know, life is full of risk mm-hmm. and you can't go through life trying to avoid risk. You have to manage it. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you can venture out and, and do an adventure. And then there's other times when you need to conserve and pull back <laughs> and be safe. And it just takes real reliance and sensitivity to the Lord's leading and wisdom. I mean, like you said, you guys didn't have little kids that you were th- that were depending mm-hmm. on you. Mm-hmm. It was it was the right time <laughs> exactly. in life. If you're going to do something <laughs> like that, it was the right time. Right. And I, I'll say this too: there's no better adventure than going out with your wife who believes in you, <laughs> and you know, will will say, well. I don't know how it's going to work, but as long as we're together, it'll be fun. You <laughs> yeah, know, that's exactly the way it was too. Yeah, we're going to have fun. And then the Lord brought you know over the years, you know, four children along, and and uh, when it was a it was a tough decision to leave Kobiak to come I'm here. I'm sure, yeah, because uh, um, uh, kind of the thinking at the time, Mark was looking to go into the pastorate, and um, you know maybe I would take over as the um, director of the camp, and so there's a lot. In fact, Mark you know, said to me one day, he said, hey, I want you to pick the speakers for this particular year because I'm not sure I'm going to be here. I believe the Lord may be leading me in the pastorate. So, you know, we worked together, chose all the speakers and everything, and then I get the infamous call one day from Bob Loggins, who at that time was the vice president for administration, uh, worked for Dr. Winterger, and he said, um, uh, you know, Mike Shellman is going into the pastorate, and I'm looking for some names for a short list to go to Dr. Winterger, somebody who might replace him. Can I put your name on that list? And I said, Oh man, I don't, I don't know how to answer you on that. I said, "Can you give me a couple of days just to think about it and pray about it?" And he said, "Oh, of course." So during those two days, I just thought it through, prayed about it, um, talked to my wife. Interesting story there is she was teaching at the Christian school that day, and I had to call her about something. And in the middle of the conversation, I said, "Oh, by the way." Uh, Bob Loggins called me today. <laughs> she said, in her mind, at that split second, she said, hmm, we're moving to Maranatha. <laughs> in fact, that evening, she came home and started walking around the house, started mapping out, packing everything. This was in February, and I didn't ag- sign the the agreement until May. I mean, it took a long process for me to come to that point. She said, I see where this is yeah, going. she knew where I was headed. And, <laughs> wow. Uh, but um, it was then a long process of seeking godly counsel and analyzing uh, you know, my ministry at the camp, 
potential ministry at the college? Uh, how can I be used to challenge young people to be open to God's leading in their life at the camp? How would that translate at Maranatha? And, um, you know, after about, like, say, three months, um, I was convinced that, yes, that God was making that move. And Do you remember what year that would have been? That was 97. 97. Spring of 97. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that, that would have been a year after I graduated. <laughs> yes, so, we missed you. Yeah, I missed you that much. Mike Shellman was here okay. uh, when, I, when I was a student, mm -hmm. so I wondered about that. Yeah. Of course, he's retired now, too. Is he? Okay. And uh, was a, the chaplain at Arlington. Mm -hmm. he, he ended up going into the chaplaincy. Sure. Hey, we need to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I just listened to, to him. Did you just write that down? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, it, it is amazing. Talk about twists and turns of mm -hmm. life, right? And and college is such a launching point. Mm -hmm. And the trajectory of a life is such an interesting thing. I've thought about that over the years so many times about just like on the golf course, you know, one or two degrees on your club head mm -hmm. can make a really big difference <laughs> between the fairway and the woods yeah. or the lake. And that's true in life too. Mm -hmm. And a small wobble or variation in the trajectory at, at, at an early age can end up making a big difference mm -hmm. in how that life turns out over the long run. And those decisions like, who am I going to marry? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we joke about it here, like there's so much pressure, you know, to get married. <laughs> That's not really true, but kind of a lot of it's self-imposed. But the truth is, it's a target-rich environment <laughs> if you're looking for, you know, finding someone like that and, and just even godly lifelong friends mm -hmm. that are going to make up that core unit of, you know, team members in your life and, and advisors and that kind of thing. And it's just such a, such a different dynamic at a Christian college. Right. And that's been something you've been promoting for 40 years plus. Yeah, right. And so what does that conversation look like in the, in the here and now? It's changed over the decades, I think, mm -hmm. a little bit. And now the choice between Christian college and a state school or, or really, a, you know, staying home and being part of a community college or even staying home and doing the online thing. Mm -hmm. or There's so many other options for right. people to consider in all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, even 20 years ago, we would pre present an apologetic for Christian college. Why Christian college? Um, because of the fact that the secular college movement um, uh, had been problematic for Christian kids. Even 20 years ago, they were reporting out in the early 2000s that three-quarters of uh, Christian kids going off to secular colleges were ended up denying the faith by the time they graduated, and this was 20 years ago. And, um, you know, so we analyzed, why is that? Did the research, and of course, we find out that, number one, there's a hostile faculty. Uh, Washington posted a series of studies in the early 2000s. They quit doing it for whatever reason, but they would actually— I think I know the reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> they would uh, survey the faculty members and ask them to place themselves on the political spe spectrum, okay? Are they alt-right? Are they conservative? Are they liberal? Are they um, left-leaning? You know, that type of thing. Well, for years, it was three-quarters of the faculty would report themselves that they were left or um, radically left, okay? That's three-quarters of them. And it wasn't Sean Hannity that was, you know, making the evaluation. It was the faculty themselves saying that. Yeah. And so what you have is a hostile faculty who, who are saying that their goal is to, re, is to unshackle these young people coming to them 
who have been chained to their parents' morality and their parents' religion and then free them up just to, to go their own way and think their own thought and that type of thing. And these are, these are professors, many of them, you know, I, I praise the Lord for every believer who's teaching in a secular college environment, because there right. are some, but the vast majority of them are liberals who have well-honed arguments, and most 18-year-olds are not prepared to go up against it. And so that's why we have seen for years um, the the devastation. Yeah, it's a it's not only a hostile faculty, but it is a permissive environment on that campus when you uh, have um, sex and alcohol and drugs and so many things that becomes kind of a normal, natural part of um, life and a, kind of a transition of that period of life. You know, just. Sow your wild oats, live the way you want to live. You can settle down at some point in time. And <clears throat> so many of our students are struggling with the hostile faculty, struggling with this kind of a permissive environment. And, and my challenge is, why do that? At uh, such a pivotal time of life where you're solidifying what it is you believe, why do you believe it, setting the trajectory of life, the course that you want to take, then why would you put yourself in an environment where you have to fight to survive when you can get on a Christian college campus where there's a spiritual atmosphere, where there are godly faculty who love you, can help you, biblical basis for the academics, student body who are uh, going in the right direction. And, and that kind of encouragement will have lifelong impacts. You know, I talked to one student, she's a transfer student from secular college, coming in her junior year, and I said, now, why are you transferring now? She said, well, when we made the decision to go to secular college, my parents, we sat together and we talked about all the dangers that I might face. They were good at identifying a local church for me to attend. Uh, we looked for a Bible study group that I could connect with. She says, but... And those are very important, and they, were, they really helped me out. But she said, for the most part, as I went day to day, class to class, I felt as if I was all alone. And after two years, I, what I really need is to be in a setting where I have some common uh, peers, peers that believe like I do, believe the Bible. And, and so she came here and, and uh, graduated a couple of years later and, and certainly thrived in, the, in that and you know, as I do this, did this study um, uh, presentation in Christian schools, in churches, in uh, youth conferences, uh, you know, on a why Christian college, almost every time I did it, I would have somebody come up to me. Maybe it was a student talking about a brother or sister, or a parent talking about a child, or whatever. And they'll say, hey, can I tell you my story about somebody they loved who went off to a secular mm. college and then no longer believe what they once believed, no longer are living for the Lord. Now, even in one service, I had a guy come up and said, you know, I went off to a secular college and I didn't deny the faith. I, I, right. you know, I came back, but he yeah. said, I got involved in some things um, during those years that still, you know, uh, I'm embarrassed about even mm -hmm. to this day. So occasionally not, there are young people that thrive, but for the most part, I'm not sure our 18-year-olds are, are prepared for that. It's not an argument that it's impossible for your faith to survive and mm -hmm. no one can, can make it 
through. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's not the argument at all. The question is, what is the system designed to do? Mm-hmm. And there, there really isn't any argument from the secular system that it is designed and intended to destroy the faith of its students. There, there's no question about right. that. They're very open mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. I, you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> and so if that's what the system is designed to do, now contrast that with the Christian college where the system, imperfect as it is, is designed to bolster your faith, to help you build in those values that are going to last you a lifetime, to help you make a network of friends that are going to be the right kind of people mm-hmm. for the most part. And you know, can can you lose faith through the Christian college experience. Yes. But again, what is the system designed to do? Right. And, you know, I always think it, I roll my eyes sometimes when I see people say, well, you know, you can get away with breaking the rules and you can get away. And I think, of, of course you can. You can you can run past everybody holding their hands out saying stop and jump off the cliff or jump on the landmine if you want to. Mm-hmm. But the question is, were there people there loving you, trying to stop you mm-hmm. from making a wreck of your life and making those kinds of decisions? People who've been down the road before, people who've seen where this goes, people who have the wisdom of experience and years and knowledge of God's word and God's character and that are trying to help and warn. I mean, that's priceless. And, you know, we can certainly go on and, and, and get graduate training and most professions, you know, worth pursuing in higher ed, you're getting a master's degree in that anyway. So if, whether it's engineering or, you know, things like that, but get this foundation. And, you know, for me, that was absolutely the key uh, to have that foundation and to, to the maturity process that, you know, go, you, you kind of live through mm-hmm. that takes place during those college years. Um, and, I listened to a podcast last week. Guy's a secular guy. Um, he's just watching the world. He's conservative, but I wouldn't call him necessarily a strong believer, certainly not in our circle. But it, the reason I listened to this episode, the, the title is Stop Sending Your Kids Off to Be Educated by People Who Hate You. Mm. Right. And I mean, this is a guy on the political side of things just saying, listen, these people hate you. They're communists, literally, Marxists. They're avowed, uh, you know, it, racist in many, many situations, and, and it's, it's gotten absolutely despicable. And so the, the, the contrast could not be any plainer. And yet it's pretty frustrating sometimes to talk to folks and say, well, you know, it's expensive to send your kid off to Christian college. And, all, and I'm thinking, well, what's it going to cost? Right. You know, what will you look back and say, you know, there are expenses beyond money. And believe me, as you do every day, we'll work with you on the expenses. You know, talk to us, help, yeah. let us help you. We've got people who want to help, you know, with scholarships and with other financial aid that that can be brought into place. But my goodness, don't make the decision that's going to impact the rest of your life based on factors that are temporary mm-hmm. and solvable, right? Right. So that's a pretty th- something we're kind of passionate about mm-hmm. around really? here. Really? Yes. Yeah. And like you said, things have not got any better. It's mm. uh, been gotten worse. And they've just plainly more open about it than they were, say, 20 years ago. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So as you look to the next phase, how do you see the Lord using you in this uh, next phase of ministry? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I say I'm retiring, but I'm still working for Maranatha. So I'll step down as a VP, uh, but then make myself available any way I can, probably in the admissions arena, 
continuing to connect with applicants and help out with the admissions reports and that type of thing, which can be done remotely. And uh, it can be done on a, a sporadic uh, time frame. It's not like it has to be eight to five. On a campsite in Yellowstone. Uh, exactly. It could be there or, you know, uh, February, middle of February in Florida somewhere or whatever. And But uh, we'll, we'll move to Kansas City. That's where nine of my 12 grandkids are at. And uh, be able to uh, spend time with family and then, um, you know, help out. I hope to be able to work for Maranatha for several more years. Me too. Yeah. We should have our weekly meetings wherever you're at. So I'll, <laughs> you I'll come to you. <laughs> I'll just jump in the Maranatha helicopter <laughs> and a, you know, we'll come find uh, you. Wait good. a minute. Do we have a helicopter? I was going to say best kept secret. <laughs> I need to check into that. Courtney's shaking her head. We, I've been informed we do not have oh, a helicopter. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> Needs more of that COVID money. You know, yeah, we've got a helicopter. Yeah. Right. So anyway, at, at the end of the day, uh, ministry doesn't stop. Mm. It just changes venue, changes application phase and so forth. Right. You, you've been investing yourself into mentoring. And mm. especially another generation. I mean, Jonathan is sitting here. He's one of your oh, sure. your your prodigies, right? In fact, I remember, what was your freshman year? What year was that? 2011. Okay, 2011. He was a freshman. And I asked if he and Nicole would travel with me down to Kansas City for the uh, Missouri Harvest Rally. Because I figured, you know what? These are fresh out of high school. They're going to know a lot of kids. So they said, sure. So yeah, we traveled down there, and he, he was you into a, a recruiter <laughs> as a he's, freshman. That's what I'm saying. I've been working with him for ten years. Yeah, he's been recruiting ever since. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, what is it like, Jonathan, to work with Dr. Harrison? It is amazing. You know, shifting from student work where we would go with him, and you know, the, the experience that you had with Dr. Cedarholm, that's the experience that I had <laughs> sitting with you guys at the front of the bus with your laptop, making phone calls banging on doors trying to get the applicants to actually mm -hmm. come. <laughs> you make house <laughs> visits now? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> but, <laughs> a little spooky. <laughs> but the here's the neat thing. For me, the biggest perspective is transitioning from student to staff. You guys presented things in an experienced way. Hey, we have done this. The Lord has moved in our lives in these ways. And as a student, you hear that, but you've all you've always heard that because you've always been taught by people who are older than you. And so experience doesn't mean as much to a young person as it should. Hmm. But then when you spend the next 10 years with someone like I have with you, and then I see that you're not kidding. And when you've said something, <laughs> you meant it. Then the things that you have said come back. And the Lord uses those memories like that first semester where I, I was on the road and I remember, I actually remember the Lord solidifying my decision to come to Maranatha as I began to recruit. Yeah. <laughs> where you, you don't realize necessarily all the good reasons to do something like the move to Maranatha as a student until you have to start to convince someone else. <laughs> yeah. It, it causes you to pause and take stock of what the experience has done for you and, right. and whether this was a good decision and <laughs> but I even think some about, confirmation bias probably. <laughs> right. But I even think about how I my experience as a staffer has been shaped by going with a vice president on the road yeah. in my very first semester. That mm. you have never been afraid to put your money where your mouth is and actually get on the road and recruit. Because there's a lot of executive type people who talk a big talk about, hey, here's all the goals that we have and all the things that need to be done but you were actually in the trenches doing it. And that has been an inspiration to mm -hmm. me to actually put, 
put the time, the effort, and not spare the details. Get in, be excellent, be precise. Remember the first, so in 2017, I took your first job. Uh, my role was the director of student recruitment and admissions. And within the first month, I had to start sending out weekly admissions reports. And they were riddled with errors, not from like the content side, like we had our, our reporting done, but we have we had a report system and I was I was struggling to keep them accurate. And I got an email from Dr. Marriott. Hey, I don't think these numbers are right. <laughs> you mean people actually read yeah, those I, things? I get them every once in a while too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we send them to like what, 50 plus people? Uh -huh. And I always know there's about three or four people who actually read the entire <laughs> thing. And one of them is Dr. Marriott. Mm -hmm. It always has been, always will be, as long as he sees them. And I remember you working with me on helping helping figure out the process and you emphasizing that the process was more important than the timing. Get Get the process done figure out a way to do it, figure out a way that works for me. And it wasn't the same way that worked for you. And that, and you were okay with that. And that has been your legacy with me is here's what needs to be done. Figure out a way to get it done that works for everyone. And that, that's a perspective that I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for a better education. In. Cool. Most of the time in life, the lessons that you look back on as most important that really stuck almost were unintentional at the time, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, you didn't realize you were in for a lesson that day. You didn't sign up for the class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yet somehow life has a way of, uh, of doing that. And the Lord, I think, providentially brings people into our lives that can be that kind of mentor for us. And the question is, are we going to be available and accessible? And are we going to submit ourselves even to that part of the process and learn and really soak that up? Because you don't have those kinds of people in your life forever. I mm. look back at my grandfather and other older men in our church that invested in me as a young man when my potential was not really quite evident. <laughs> and yet they they saw something worth, you know, their time and energy whether it's a Sunday school teacher or a youth pastor or a teacher at your school uh, that invests in your life. Listen to that, value that, treasure it, seek it out because that's going to make such a difference in your life. Any parting words of advice for students or, or prospects out there that might be uh, kind of listening to this and, and struggling with that decision on their own? Yeah, I would say every student ought to seek godly counsel. You know, what do I want to do in life? Where do I want to go to school? You know, if they haven't had a good, solid conversation with mom and dad, their pastor, the youth pastor, other godly mentors, that's a big mistake. And um, I say, think, you know, uh, pray about it. But seek godly counsel and uh, those people who have had a strong spiritual mentoring relationship in your life, you ought to include them. Amen. Jim, you have been a, a personal mentor for me for such a long time, and uh, I get to see you working on a day-to-day -day basis in ways that benefit the students on an annual and even financial basis, and we appreciate your work here. We're going to miss you, but we're so thankful to catch this conversation. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. On Mission is a production of Maranatha Baptist University. To connect with Dr. Harrison, email jim.harrison at mbu.edu. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For information about our guests, previous episodes, and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu podcast. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.